listening to the Mindful Biz Podcast. I'm Alison Morgan, business coach at Relauncher. Today, Gemma Sampson joins us. She's an Australian advanced sports dietitian and sports nutrition expert based in Girona, Spain. Gemma works with amateur and elite athletes internationally across Australia, Europe and the UK to help them optimise their diet for training and performance. Gemma mainly works with cyclists and triathletes via one-to-one consultations. She also has an online program which is focused on training nutrition for cyclists. In this episode, we talk about Gemma's business journey, working internationally, her online presence and consultations. Gemma, it's so lovely to have you here. How are you? I'm good, thank you. It's so good to see. I was just saying before, like, gosh, you're over the other side of the world and how different life is over there at the moment. Yeah, I mean, I'm here in Spain and Girona and it's just now starting to get cold and I think when you compare to like six months ago where we're sort of going, getting out of lockdown, it started getting warm and now we're kind of like maybe going back into lockdown and it's getting cold again. It's like, ah, what are we doing? Well, usually when we speak, I'm in pitch darkness because it's winter and everything. But now, like, we're in daylight savings. Oh, my gosh, it's beautiful sunshine, you know, here until, well, I shouldn't say sunshine, but daylight until, I don't know, about 7.30 p.m., which oh, it's good for the soul. <laughs> oh, 100%. Yeah. It's, I think it's, it's, like, dark by 5.30 here. Oh, is it? Is it yeah. really? But the coldness hasn't hit yet, has it? Um, it, it, it sort of comes in waves. So like, um, I've started this week doing this like cold water immersion with a group of riders in the river. And on on Monday, on Monday, it was like, oh, it's not that cold. It was like 15 degrees, the water. And I stayed in for like 15 minutes. And then yesterday when we're riding there, I'm like, it's freezing today. What is going on? My hands are cold. My face is cold. Keep your mask on until you get to the river. (laughs) Oh my gosh. What time of the day are you doing that? Like 7 30 so oh. it's like the sun is just coming up and like yeah. the river's like steaming and make a fire at the river it's good fun oh actually I've seen the fires yeah on on your Instagram stories it looks so good oh my gosh all the scenery over there is beautiful now before we ramble on too much I'd love you to introduce yourself to everyone yeah, so my name's Gemma Sampson and I'm an advanced sports dietitian. So I'm originally from Australia, but I've sort of spent half my life overseas. So I'm now based in Girona in Spain. And I had planned to be kind of doing a nine-month Spain, three-month Australia from this season, basically from now onwards. Yeah. That's not happening, obviously, with um, COVID and everything that's sort of going on in the world. So I'm still I'm still here in Spain, probably going to be another year or two before I get home. Um, but yeah, I work. Um, particularly with cyclists and triathletes and a keen interest in performance. So I work with probably a mixture of 50-50 professional athletes and amateur cyclists and triathletes. Wow. And Girona is like the hot spot for cyclists and triathletes, isn't it? Oh, 100%. So I've been here for three years now in Girona and there's probably maybe up to 200 professional cyclists that live here sort of year round, uh, sort of different seasons. Some are here all the time and then others, uh, they come and go. And the same with triathletes. Uh, there's there's definitely a 
like usually the summer months, there's triathletes that come every season. A few that sort of live here year round, like Jan Frodeno lives here year round. And, but there's definitely a growing number and it's, it's not ideal in terms of it was super close to the beach. I mean, it was like an hour, an hour's ride to the beach. Um, there's mountains. So you've kind of got 360 degrees of just amazing, beautiful um, cycling empty roads the roads are pretty safe to ride on it's not too dangerous apart from the roundabouts but yeah um, yeah it's, it's a really good training environment for athletes oh my gosh and have you always been a cyclist yourself no no not at all like I mean I've always been really sporty and really yeah. active I swam I swam competitively when I was a kid in Zambia and but no I got into cycling from triathlon actually so probably all oh, six six years ago I've been talking about doing a triathlon forever and then someone was like well, what's stopping you I was like yeah good point nothing me <laughs> and so I got, I got a road bike I signed up for a sprint and I was like that was fine that was easy and then I did Olympic then I did a half then I did an Ironman and in the process of that I just really discovered that I love cycling still I love swimming as well I love cycling not really into that into running that much and so I just sort of scrapped the rest and just yeah kept cycling more and more and more Wow, 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 wow. Okay, so what inspired you to specialise in sports nutrition? So I think I'd always had a keen interest in sports. So I think because because I grew up in Zambia, I'd been had a very active childhood and always been outdoors and always been really sporty, just always doing activities and things. Yeah. And so when I did dietetics um, in Australia, I actually wanted to do sports nutrition straight from the bat and so I did do like my ISAC sort of the skin fold sort of training I started looking into some of the additional courses and it was part of my CPD to then go and do the sports dietitian training and then sort of conversations with different people and I kind of got convinced to kind of go down the the clinical dietetics route a more traditional work in the hospital which I did I did love as well mm. but it wasn't necessarily my passion and so I think after like, yeah, eight, six, seven, eight, six, seven years in working as a dietitian, I worked on oncology, in metabolic disorders, in celiac disease um, clinically. And I was like, no, sport is what I really want to do. I'd always wanted to do a, a PhD in sports nutrition. Right. I didn't really have a specific reason why, but I was like, that's something that I'm passionate about doing. And so I was like, right, okay, time to take a few steps backwards, do some additional training and additional um experience I was getting I was because I was training so much myself I was then getting people asking me questions which yeah. then I wanted to be able to give like reasonable and practical advice based on really good evidence and science so that led me to then do the sports dietitian course in Australia so I flew back for Australia to do that and then I, I met um I was really really lucky to meet some amazing researchers in the sports nutrition world at conferences um I love networking I love meeting yeah. new people and I just be like going up have a chat with them and um that sort of led me to where I am now Wow. So when you launched your online profile as such, you were under a different brand, which was Dietitian with Borders. So first of all, how did you how did you come up with that name? And and like when when did you start that part of the business, Dietitian with Borders, without borders? So Dietitian Without Borders came about, I think it was 2013. So yeah, a while ago. And so I was working in the hospital at the time in oncology. And I've, I've always been massive into CPD and learning. I'm always curious to know more. And I found that um, one way that I learn is by 
creating content, I suppose. And so I was in the hospital hearing all these questions. It would be like, oh, does turmeric cure cancer, for example? And and so I'd be like, oh, okay, that's an interesting thought. And it's, I'd hear some, some very bad advice at times. And I'm like, okay, I want to have something that's useful that I can refer people to to read in their spare time. Right. And so that's kind of where I, it started as a blog, basically. And it was very general, all sorts of things. Sometimes it was pediatrics. Sometimes it was, yeah, oncology. Sometimes it was general nutrition. Just questions that I'd be asked. I'm like, oh, that's interesting. I'm not sure about that. Let's go and research it. It up I think my original tagline was putting nutrition into context and I was very passionate about like just providing really easy to understand practical nutrition advice without any sort of woo sort of science um, information in there and the name Dietitian Without Borders came about because yeah so I'm Australian but I grew up in Zambia I was living in England at the time when I started it so I've spent probably half of my life overseas and I was working with people sort of from all over um, I think when I sort of started I did have a little bit of a thought um, perhaps this could become a business in the future I don't really know and I remember reading things about how it's good to have an online presence for say at least six months before you start working online and I think I was always maybe sort of thinking about working online because it was um, I think because I love travel I loved working going to different places and I wanted to be able to create a business or something that was transferable so that if I took it back to Australia, which has always been in my back of my mind, like one day I'll end up back in Australia, I just don't know when, and that I could then be able to transfer that between different places. Yeah. Okay. So how long, how many years did you have, did you operate under that brand, would you say, roughly? Until, basically until last year, really, or this year. Um, So I actually bought the GemmaSampson.com probably two, maybe three years ago. And it's been on my to-do list um, to rebrand and to change it from dietary to photos because what I found was the more I was working in sport, the more I wasn't really aligning with the Dietitian Without Borders brand mm. so much. And so, but then because I didn't have either the time or the resources to invest in creating this new brand or I didn't really know what it was, I just sort of kept parking it. And there was a couple of years there where I... I like I was just busy I had a lot of stuff going on personally where I kind of just sort of parked um, too much yeah yeah yeah, exactly and so I didn't want to make changes when I didn't really know what the the end goal was and so Mm -hmm. it was only really this year that I sort of got in a place and that's when I I met you and sort of reached out to you because I was like okay I'm not going to do this on my own. I need help. Um, Please help. Well, what to do and I'll do it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I I do think that was such a smart approach for you, though, because otherwise I think if you push things too early and you're not in the right headspace, it can end up you go down the wrong path, you spend extra money and you're not happy with it and all these kind of things. I always say the timing has got to be right. So, oh, 100%. Yeah. All right. So then in between all of this with, you know, dietitian reporters, you were then um, consulting with elite athletes and triathletes and cyclists. Um, and so how did you find those initial clients? How did they find you? Question. I think a lot of it started by the people I was training with because because um, I, I, I do a lot of sport myself. Like I typically train for like anywhere from 10 to 20 hours a week depending on what stage that I'm at like obviously when I was doing triathlon it was more so I was working 
studying nutrition, um, sports nutrition at, at John Walls in Liverpool while I'd gone to work. I'd sort of cut down my work hours to part-time while I was doing that. But I was also training full-time because I was training about 20 hours a week and as well as doing a master's. And so I was meeting athletes particularly age group athletes mm -hmm. um, through that, mostly mostly triathletes, but also cyclists. And so because I was training in groups of people, um, they would often be asking me questions. And so it sort of started from there um, organically. And then I set up a practice, uh, like a, I guess a face-to-face -face practice in, in Liverpool on the weekends or in, in the evenings. And so more just in my, my spare time, I suppose. But then what I found was it wasn't practical at that point having a physical location because weekends didn't work because that was when the athletes were doing their long rides. Mm. And then also even evenings were a challenge for a lot of people because they were maybe they're working or they had to travel to see me. And that's kind of where I started doing online consulting. And this is, I don't know, maybe like five, four, five years ago. So just dabbling into it because I found that people needed the support. They wanted the support, but it wasn't practical for them to come and see me physically one-to-one. -one. And so then I was working with different groups and different teams. Part of the Masters opened up a lot of doors with people then. Last year, I was the team nutritionist for Team Dimension Data, which is one of the um, world tour cycling teams. Um, I sort of decided this year to take a break from working in the world tour while I tried to finish my professional doctorate, my PhD, and then COVID hit. So that was um, probably a wise move in some regards because a lot of support staff either lost their jobs or didn't have work um, this year as a result of many um, team changes or the, the lack of races that was going on. So I think the fact that having my own business and um, the, uh, my own clientele kept me afloat through that period. Mm, wow, incredible. I've got to ask some like non-business questions because I'm always really interested in um, the nutrition side, especially for like people that are training lots because um, I'm sure you would agree and I'm no expert that probably people don't eat enough on their training days and then on their rest days they're probably overeating because they've got more time and probably realised they were hungry from yesterday. Yeah. so um yeah I would imagine that a lot of like meal prep for you know in particular for cyclists is really important and all these kind of things what what are some tips for people that are listening in that you know not necessarily are elite athletes but you know tend to exercise a lot I think probably the biggest mistake I see people doing is not fueling training enough so like you're saying not eating enough in the training but then eating um not, it's not even necessarily excessively, but just eating it hours later and then maybe eating much larger volumes of food. So I think weight management or weight loss is, is probably one of the biggest things that people do come to see me about, wanting support with that or to improve their body composition. Right. And often when I look at their diet, maybe they're eating enough food, but it's the timing is out. And that's probably one of the biggest things that I see is the timing of food where, especially if people have in the back of their head, they're wanting to lose weight. They're like, oh, if I burn more calories, I'll lose more weight. And they usually then maybe, maybe they're going and doing like a two, three hour bike ride, burning 1500, 2000 calories in a bike ride. They're like, and they only eat maybe 200. I see that a lot where people only eat like a fraction of the energy in, in a training session. Then at the end of that session, that ride, maybe they're then super hungry. So I call it, I call it like the cookie monster approach yeah. where you kind of get home, 
get home and you're so hungry it's like the open the fridge door or just inhale yeah. everything you see and but then it sort of just keeps going the rest of that day because they've usually used up um say a lot of their glycogen stores it's quite empty and physiologically what happens then is your body is then in this recovery mode like feed me feed me feed me and right. it just you just end up over consuming above and beyond and so it's never the food in the training that's the issue it's very difficult to overeat in training unless you're going super super easy and super slow and eating a huge ton it's just you wouldn't absorb it you'd get physically sick so that would be my number one piece of advice is to look at what you're eating in training and your sort of energy expenditure and start fueling more in your training um, because what I find it, it's, it's one of those things where it's getting people to trust the process. And sometimes it takes weeks and months, if not years, for people to change that brain thought process where actually if they eat more in the training, it then normalizes what they eat the rest of the day. Mm. So when you say eat in their training, do you mean like as they're riding their bike, they're having snacks? That's what you mean, yeah. Yeah, and and this is where you're looking, um, I, I'm very much a keen uh, fuel for the work required or with cycling, I call it fuel for the what's required, where you're looking at the intensity of training that you're doing because as the intensity goes up, you shift from using more fat as a fuel, which is when you're going super, super easy. And I think people underestimate just how easy you need. It's kind of like walking pace almost, like just really easy light to be using more fat as fuel. And then but once you start getting your heart rate going, your body starts to use more carbohydrate as fuel. And so it's kind of like adjusting what you eat depending on the intensity. So if it's a really high intense session, maybe you're doing sprint intervals or hill reps where you want to fuel more versus if you're doing like a long, slow duration ride. Mm, interesting. So what are some foods for all of this? Yeah, so... Like filled again, and, and yeah. for a long time, I guess. Again, it, it comes down to that. I think that's that intensity factor is a, is a key thing. So a lot of the time I'll see people coming to me maybe they've never worked with a sports dietitian before and they're using a lot of gels and they're using a lot of energy drinks um, and that's their fuel source, which is which is fine and that's great for racing and it's great for really high intensity. So if you're doing sprint efforts or you're doing race pace or race simulation, that's the sort of food that you would be using in that scenario because you want something really quick and easy yeah. to absorb. Um, it's not going to cause any gut issues. But if you're doing, um, yeah, like that more long duration rides or if you're, especially if you're training like 10, 15, 20 hours a week, I, I'm very much a fan of using real food as fuel. And there isn't one perfect food. Uh, I find that using rice cakes is, um, is a really good way to fuel during training because, um, and it's not the crunchy rice cakes, it's more yeah. of the cycling rice cakes. Um, so I've got a recipe, an Italian rice cake recipe, which I know your boys like. Oh, they love um, it. They love it. Yeah. And it's it's super easy and I'm, I'm very much a fan of using foods that you can get anywhere that um, you like. I think it's important to enjoy it because that's one thing I see people perhaps they aren't, they don't like the gels and so they put them on because they're like, oh, it makes me feel sick. I'm not going to eat it. I don't want to feel sick. Where if you use a rice cake or a wrap or like bananas or um, I think people overcomplicate it. it. It can be something really simple. It could be some dates. It could be some like dried apricots. It could be um, a piece of banana bread, for example. Like I'm, I often use like um, 
yeah, like cake as a fuel and I'll make a cake and then I'll cut up into pieces and put it in the freezer and that's my ride food. So for example, yesterday I did three and a half hours and I, what did I use? I used like cake, I used rice cakes, I used a wrap of Vegemite and yeah, I think that was it. So Vegemite's okay. I think it's it's one of those things that everyone's gut is different, and so yeah. the foods that work for me that are I'm I am more like I can eat something and just get straight on the bike and no issues. Yeah. Where I also have a lot of clients where the, the the thought of solid food is just it just makes them feel ill, and so right. there isn't there is there isn't like this one size fits all approach. And mm. so if someone finds that they're not able to eat solid foods, that's when you use liquids, or you might use the gels or drinks or um, I have people that make their own sports drinks using things like maple syrup and lemon juice and a bit of salt because they don't like the commercial ones and or even just using diluted fruit juice or using say coconut water for example which doesn't have enough sodium in it but um, using alternatives as energy sources. Amazing now you've got a lot of these recipes on your website haven't you? Yeah. Yeah. All right on on the Gemma Sampson website? Okay. Are you still yeah. using the the other website? Yes, I'm still using yeah. it. I'm just slowly, slowly transferring them across. Um, it's more like because some of the original recipes that I have, they're only like a portion for like three. So I need to get a food processor and make them in bigger portion sizes yeah. so that it makes like 10 and um, and then take new photos and things. Because some of them I'll be like, where's the photo for this? Yeah. I need to transfer. Some of those photos would be looking quite old-fashioned now. You know how photography is really improved. Yeah. Exactly. You know so, the good thing yeah, about I'm slowly, slowly moving them across. Well, do you know what? I, I actually reckon I would keep a lot of them on the old website because it used to be that Google would penalise you if you had exactly the same content, like on on two websites. Well, what I'm what I'm doing is I I turn it into a draft and I try. It's a um it's a link. Right. Um, so I redirect. So if someone clicks on an old recipe, it re- automatically redirects from right. DWB to. Right. Um, so I can see, um, yeah, because there's a few like naked bar recipes which are like suited dry dates, and they're like my top hits. So they're ones that I'm like, I do need to redo this. I just haven't yeah. got around doing it. Wow, I know it's so interesting when you're looking at analytics and see what is coming through for Google searches, isn't it? Yeah, I, so I've, I've got a Google Analytics on gemmasampson.com as well. I haven't really looked at it um, so much just because I haven't had haven't got around to it. It's interesting because I was looking at my analytics, I think it was last week, and it's so interesting. There's one blog article about um, GST that is literally at the moment just pulling through so much traffic and you go, there you go. I would not, I would never have known that if I didn't look. Interesting, interesting. Um, all right, so, so really the main types of clients, have you got mainly male clients or is it a good split? It's, do you know what, like it was male until maybe about a year ago. I'd almost like exclusively worked with, with men until maybe 18, 18 months ago. And then in the last 18 months, I've had a, a lot more women that I've been working with. Um, so it's probably, it's an even split now. I've probably got more female professional athletes than I do male at the moment. Um, there's a lot of, so I have a lot of athletes that I work with maybe like ongoing or um, they might sort of dip in and dip out. And so with the, with the men, they're more sort of like, 
like they'll, they'll just sort of sporadically get in touch with me mm. where at the moment I've got more professional females that I work with on an ongoing basis. Yeah, right. Do you think you will ever expand beyond cycling and triathlons or triathletes? I think... Um, I like working, so I like working with people who are very motivated and have goals. So yeah. this is where, in terms of like performance, um, so I do work with some like CEOs and some um, business men and women who are very busy and very motivated. So there, I, I find that I, I really enjoy working with people who have very clear goals and are motivated to work with those. So that's in terms of non-sport, they're the market or the people that I like enjoy working with. Yeah, amazing. So what's the plan like for you in terms of location and everything? Like you said that you'll probably you want to come back and then do like six months in Australia, six months over in Spain. Um do you do you have many Australian clients or at the moment they're all um, they're yeah. all European. It's about fifty percent of Australian at the moment as well. So and it, yeah. it it shifts it shifts and changes. There was a point where it was about seventy five percent Australian. Uh, so a lot of I mean a lot of my athletes, the professionals, are Australian, and so they're travelling around with work. So they might be actually based here in Girona, but then they're they're racing all around the world. Then they go back to Australia for the season. So in terms of like the cycling season, normally this year is going to be a bit different. Normally the season starts in January at Tour Down Under in Adelaide in Jan end of January and so for like in terms of a plan my thought process was okay I'll go back to Australia like November December yeah. um, come back to Europe in in February just chase the sun around and I was about to say that yeah and then spend, be able to spend time with my family because I've been I've been overseas in Europe for 10 years it was never a plan for 10 years it was a like oh yeah I'll go for a year or two and then 10 years later and so the longest I've been back is um six weeks a year ago or no, no over, over a year ago was um six the longest I've been back is for six weeks so before that I'd only been back for maybe 10 day trips very short um sporadic trips so it would be good to be able to visit my family a little bit more but I think obviously that's going to be a post um post-COVID life and and the, the biggest limiting factor for me this year or um, at the moment had been my my doctorate so I had anticipated that have been finished in summer just gone so the middle of the nice. year um, but with this whole the way that this year has turned out it's sort of been uh, put back by a year yeah oh my gosh hasn't it just been a whopper of a year <laughs> It's 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 been a while, but I think it was one of those things where um, I lost a lot of work in the beginning of the year yeah. because I had a lot of events planned in, which then made me okay. I have to look at something different. But um, a lot of the clients that I work with, because the races were being cancelled, they did take a step back for a few months. But then, because it's been ongoing, it's not like this. Like oh, there's an, a light at the end of the tunnel. It's sort of like okay, this is going to be affecting us for a long time. What I found is that in the last six months, a lot of those athletes have now been like, actually, do you know what? I do need help. I do need support. And I think partially, maybe this is also with the new website is having a huge impact. My inquiries and new clients have just skyrocketed in the last right. couple of months, and so there's a definitely a big interest at the moment in sport and in health and people yeah. um, maybe just reassessing their lives and wanting to make positive changes. Oh, and this is yeah. this is the ideal time to change it when there isn't that that deadline of like, okay, I've got to be here by this date. I've, okay, I've got a couple of months where I can I can make these changes and adapt them and, and improve myself. 
Well, I think also it's the self-motivators that are that are actually taking these steps and seeking out professionals' helps to keep, you know, and optimise their health and their well-being. Because, you know, it's really just been highlighted this year is, you know, you've got yourself and yourself has to look after yourself. Yeah. You know, we can't rely on anyone for anything and so it's up to us to make these steps and reach out and get the experts on board to make sure that we are healthy at all times, you know. So, yeah, that's what I'm seeing across the board is naturopaths, nutritionists, dietitians, um, you know, all these kinesiologists, all these health and wellbeing experts, chiros, physios, they're all, like, busier than ever. Yeah, after that initial, like, shock factor that we all had. Yeah, my, I mean, I definitely I think that's that's been the case for me. And I think it's recognising just how much time and consistency plays into the role. So I've been here in Girona for three years now and it's now that all that, that work for the past three years is actually starting to come into fruition um, in terms of relationships because it's a very transient, this is a very transient place. Right. Most people don't really a lot of people don't stay more than six 12 months and so you've really got to be here a couple of years before you're trusted and you're like that you're not just going to leave I tell you what I love watching your posts on Instagram your stories because it's just like something out of a postcard it's just beautiful there isn't it yeah no Post it rides, is like I, I would be on the bike all the time there as well because it's so picturesque and it looks yeah. like the best form of exercise. Just, is yeah. everyone riding over there? Um, a vast majority. I mean, there are there are people in Girona. There's a, a large English speaking community who are teachers. Um, so there's a big teaching community. But in terms of um, a lot of it, the cycling community, most people do ride, and it's one of those things. There's 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 a mixture of people. There's there's obviously the pro athletes. There's a lot of photographers. There's a lot of freelancers and creative people who are based here, and also a lot of retirees. So they do ride all day, every day. And initially, so like when I first arrived, there there can be a bit of pressure. You could you can easily get um, succumbed into peer pressure, like what you didn't ride today. What's yeah. wrong with you? And where a lot of people don't have that tradition, that typical traditional nine to five. Where with my my business and with my doctorate, I have to exercise a lot of discipline and a lot of self control to to not ride all day every day because yeah. there's all cool fun stuff going on. And so yeah, like this this river immersion thing that I've been doing with some of the riders, um, like it's great and it's great fun. But then it's easy to be like, oh yeah, let's go for coffee and let's go hang out. I bet. And then nothing gets done. And yeah. so um, I've definitely found that having to create a routine and to be very disciplined about what I do and when I do it mm. and the timing. So, like, I, yeah, I do ride probably anywhere from three to five, six days a week. Depends on the season. Depends if I'm training for something or if it's more maintenance. And so, for example, today I'm going to go for a ride with some mates for a coffee ride after this for two hours and then work. I'm working all afternoon and evening. Yeah. So different days different things I tend to work and uh, socialize and ride my bike in the middle of the day in winter but in summer it's too hot so then I'd ride really early or like late at night sounds so good just one last thing before we go um seeing you in the tractor picking olives how safe is that because I'm always very worried you're going to fall out (laughs) well actually that one was super safe because I was only like I don't know maybe three meters up in the air the last time I did it last year (laughs) Uh, 
It's great fun. Last time the tractor was like the the um the I don't know what the pickup like the, yeah. the whatever you call that bit that you there we go word scoop um it was like fully extended and I was significantly higher and then they were driving around with me sitting in, in the scoop the whole time as well so yeah that's um some friends they've got a a, a beautiful property um old Messia out in Banyoles and they've got I don't know like a hundred like a hundred um hundreds of olive trees so they've been picking them and then they go and press them for to make olives. so I think they I think they got about 150 150 liters of olive oil and it's it's insane and okay. and so yeah basically like I didn't know how olives were picked and so they're like oh we're gonna pick olives I'm like okay yeah I'm in count me in and it's it's hard work because it's this massive like rake that you just gotta like rake the tree or shake the tree of all the olives they just drop off do they yeah, they do drop off. I mean, they they, they don't all come off. You, it's like this electric rake that kind of shakes the tree and oh, like pulls and traps them and pulls them off. Oh and then you have, pick you have a big up. net. You have a big oh, net. Yeah. So then you, it, it's like a, it's like a teamwork. You might have one person, one person like raking raking the tree, and then then you get them all in the net, and then you get uh, all the people in the net to put them into the buckets and. Um, collect them to take them to the press wow bed tastes good yeah um just one more question we could be here all day um are the cheeses and the red wines and everything just beautiful oh man yeah the, <laughs> the food here is insane yeah. um it's, it's interesting because the the mediterranean the catalan so I'm, I'm in catalonia which um the they don't really use spices or flavor here but just the quality is amazing so the wine uh, the Empordar region, which is um, where the wine in sort of the regional I'm living in, I've not had a bad wine from them. And you can get a, a really, I mean, everyday drinking wine is like six euros. So, and that's amazing. You go Then you go up to like 14 euros and you're like, whoa, hello, this is good. Really? Um, and the cheeses are amazing. I I often, you'll see on my Instagram, the, the market. So I usually go to the market at least once or twice a week. And it's probably like one of my favorite activity. I love cooking for other people. So it's exciting when I can get more food than just what yeah. I'm feeding myself. So good. All right, Gemma, where can everyone find you? So on my website, yeah, GemmaSampson.com and on Instagram, that's where I'm probably the most active at the moment, which is Gemma Sampson Nutrition. Amazing. So what I will do, as I always do, is put all the links on my website, which is relaunching.com.au and link through to Gemma's site so you can be able to easily find her. Gemma, thank you so much for joining us here today. You're very welcome. It's a pleasure talking to you.